0: now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff
1: Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff.
0: My guest is Brian Hoyland. Brian had a near-death experience where he encountered Jesus in heaven, and today we're going to learn about it. Brian, thank you so much for being my guest today, and welcome.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Brian, my audience loves to hear about NDEs, so if you don't mind, let's just talk about yours.
1: All right. Well, I'm going to start off with just giving you a brief background on my medical history that led up to it. I uh, was exposed to toxic chemicals in the military. And through that exposure, I developed autoimmune diseases. One of the autoimmune diseases attacked my heart, attacked all my organs, but really devastated my heart. And so in August of 2016, I went into heart failure. And the heart failure was so bad that I had to be innovated. They told my wife that I was going to die and that there was really no chance of me surviving. I ended up surviving, but I had several months of in and out of the hospital, a lot of heart failures, a lot of real close brushes with death, but hadn't quite died yet. And then in January of 2017, I went into this really bad arrhythmia but it was just below my my threshold for my pacemaker defibrillator to, to shock me out of it. So I was in the, the ER for seven hours, and I was fighting for, for my life. And they thought they had me stabilized enough to move me to the ICU. They had a lot of people coming in. You know, it's a really busy hospital, so they had to get me out of that ER room. But as soon as they transferred me from the ER bed, to the um, ICU bed, I went back into this really high rate of height of arrhythmia. And my heart rate had gotten up over 100 or 300 beats per minute. And this was quite a regular thing over those several months, you know, it was, it was constantly going up to that. And, you know, that's a really painful process in and of itself. But that seven hours that I was fighting was really brutal. It was probably the most traumatic thing I've ever, you know, having been in the military, I've seen a lot of things but this was the worst thing that I've ever seen heard of or experienced myself, obviously. And so, you know, I'm laying in this bed and they brought in the the crash team and the crash cart and all this. I mean, there, the room filled up with like 20 people. I mean, it was full and, you know, the ICU rooms aren't very big. So you notice like quite a, you know, that large amount of people coming into the room, you know, and I, I knew I was going to die. I knew I was going to die before that, but, at this point, I knew it was coming really close. And they ended up strapping me down to the bed. They had to shock me a few times, um, you know, trying to, just trying to get my heart rate to come back down. And as they were shocking me, you know, I, I realized that, that I wasn't going to survive this thing. And, you know, the, the, the nurses, and the doctors were asking me my name, my address, you know, a whole bunch of stuff they already knew, but they were trying to keep me with them. And at this point, I realized that they're just trying to keep me from just giving up and, and dying. And and I'm I'm looking at this crucifix on the wall. That's the only place I could look. My head was stuck, you know. I was strapped down, so I couldn't really move around. And they're flopping my arms all over the place. And you know, I'm looking at this crucifix and I and I'm praying this whole time and I'm asking Jesus, I'm saying, you know, just take me. I'm I'm done with this fight. I don't want to go on. This is too much. And I'm not a quitter. So this is something that was, you know, beyond my my own personality type. I, I don't like to quit things. But I at this point I was just was like, I'm done. And so I just laid back and I closed my eyes. And the nurses were, you know, continuing to ask me questions. Brian, we need you to open your eyes. We need you to talk to us. And I said, I don't want to talk. And it was the hardest thing to get that out. It was my last breath. You know, it was the last effort that I had. All my energy was expelled at this point. And that's when I, I felt myself die. And it was like a shake and a pop. My, I, my soul just exited from my body, but it was a very tangible experience, something that I could really feel. And as soon as my, bo- my soul exited my body, I was in this dark tunnel. And in this tunnel, I'm looking at first into this dark void and in this void, it was just like looking into outer space. It was, it, but minus the, the planets and the stars, and so I'm looking in this huge. I mean, it's it's literally like outer space. You're looking into this huge void, and I'm feeling this immense love just pouring into my soul, just constantly coming in. It was joy that was overwhelming me, and so I'm looking at this, and I I'm thinking, wow, this is this is a wonderful feeling, but at the same time, I, I thought, well, this can't be it. You know, this can't be all that there is to it, just feeling this wonderful feeling and looking into this dark void. And that's when I noticed that there was an ability that I had that was beyond my my human ability. It was I had my sensory ability, particularly with my visual acuity, I could see in 360 degrees. So as I was looking into this dark void, I realized I was also seeing this light that was behind me at the exact same time. But what I was focusing on was the the void. So as soon as I noticed that I was seeing the light as well, I focused on the light and my, my, my perspective changed. And then I said, I, you know, I want to be with this light. And it was like that I was with this light, but what was amazing was that I was able to see every single step I took to get to that light but i didn't feel like any inertia or any wind or, you know any i didn't feel any kind of sensory information that would have you know explained how fast i was able to move to that light because it was you know i can't explain how how far the distance was it was beyond anything i've ever been able to see i can't ah. see that far now and you know even with a telescope i don't know that i could ever see that that kind of a distance so to be able to move that quickly You would think that I would feel that kind of wind, but I didn't. And it was just something that happened. And yet I still had all those steps. And so I'm standing before this light and this light was just full of love. It was full of joy and peace. And as I'm looking at this light, it's radiating into my soul. But what I wanted to do, I am looking at this thing and I'm, I'm saying, wow, I can't believe this isn't hurting my eyes. Because it was the brightest thing you could ever imagine seeing, so I'm I'm looking at the light and I'm looking off to this side and I'm looking off to this side. I look up and down, and I couldn't see the end of it. And what's really cool about the vision is that you can actually watch your vision grow. So I can see everything that's like around me personally, but I could also see the 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 distance growing as I was continually looking further into the distance. So you could see everything all at once. It wasn't like you just had to stay limited to what you're focusing on here and then, you know, change your perspective and look to the distance. You could see it all at once. Except whatever you focused on was going to take your primary your primary perspective. And so I realized I couldn't see the end of it and as far as I could understand, I couldn't possibly ever see the end of it because I gave up looking. I was just, you know, too far. It just kept going and going and going. So I'm, I returned back to my perspective of looking at the light. And, and I said, wow, I can't believe this doesn't hurt my eyes. And, and I heard this voice and it wasn't like an audible voice. It was more of a, like a knowledge within myself that said, you can come into the light. And, you know, I knew at this point that this was God, or at least, you know, I, I don't want to say it was God because I didn't see a being, but it was God's God's love. It was it was representative of God, but I'm not sure exactly, you know, like a being. I didn't see a being, so I don't want to say that, you know, this light was, was God's being, but it was something emanating off of God. And so I walked into the light, and as soon as I walked in, it was like this overwhelming, powerful flow of love just coming into my soul. It, it was more intense than anything I've ever experienced. And, you know, having been a military guy, you know, you go to a firefight, that's, that's intense. That was nothing compared to the love. So any kind of fear you could imagine, any kind of love you could ever imagine in human life is nothing compared to this. This love was so encompassing. And it was just pouring into my soul. I'd like to talk about like, you know, it was like a straw or a funnel. I don't really know any other way of describing it. But, you know, when you drink from a straw, you're drinking in and it's coming in and it's coming out. And it's it's constantly, the straw is still full. It's never empty until you stop drinking from it. But that's what God's love was like. It was constantly coming into me and then it was going back out into the into the heaven. But it wasn't. I was never depleted of it. And, and so that was, that was really amazing. That was constantly coming into me and I could feel it healing me. It was, it was as if his love was just curing all the things that I had suffered and endured in life. And he was, he was making those things better. And so as I'm walking through this light, and it seemed like I was walking through it for quite a while, but I, you know, I got this, this thought in my head that I wanted to see Jesus. And as soon as I thought that all of a sudden it opened up and the light changed into like this room full of, you know, it was like encompassed by the light. I didn't see like a temple or anything, you know, like a structure or anything like that, but it was like the light was the temple or the structure or the, the room. It was encompassing the entire room. And in this room, there were, A ton of beings i mean i i've never seen a crowd that large so i don't know how many this how many people were in this this particular room but this room it wasn't all of heaven it was like a gathering space or an entry point of heaven you know i i can't say for sure because i didn't see past that so i don't know how much more of heaven there is but this 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 part was so beautiful and just Full of love, and yet it was it was limited to, to the the totality of what heaven had to, had to offer. But the beings were really different. It, they had a torso of a human body, and and yet it was you know didn't have the physical features of a human being. But what it kind of looked like was <clears throat> like a, a cell underneath of a microscope. So if you look at a microscope and you know you see the cell, it's got all those little moving parts in it. Well, all those little moving parts in, in heaven were more of of light. And it was like this beautiful radiating light coming off these beings. And and they kind of had different levels of light, you know. But but one being in particular was absolutely so bright that hang on, I Oh, I thought I dismissed those. Sorry about that. Jeff. Okay, No problem. But, but the one being had incredible light and, and it was so beautiful and welcoming and warm that, you know, I was, I was instantly attracted. I knew right away who this being was, but it was, you know, it, it was, it was like this, this love was emanating off of this being. And it was, it was trans transmitted from, from the light and through the atmosphere down into this being. So it was like this constant flow between, between those three things and the atmosphere you know, the atmosphere was like a, like a pinkish gray, but, but that's a really poor description of what it was. Cause I, I don't know what colors we could look at. I've looked at different color spectrums, you know, I've looked at bees and some other things, you know, the discovery Channel, really cool on, on, on different colors, but they, uh, it wasn't it wasn't one of those those colors that you could really pick out and say hey this is the color that I that I experienced it was a pinkish green but it wasn't it wasn't something that I knew I was very unfamiliar with it but but the atmosphere was like connecting the the light of God with this one particular being and then all of the the rest of the beings that were there were also connected through this through this this flow of of love or or whatever that was happening and so this being I I knew it was Jesus and you know I'm looking at it and I'm, I'm saying Jesus I want to see your face I want to I want to see your face and you know that's when I when I said that it was like this pure like loving request it wasn't like I I was demanding of anything you know my my soul was in complete submission and, and you can ask anybody who knows me, I'm not a submissive person. I don't submit to anything, you know, as a military guy, I'm not a, I'm not a submissive person at all. I'm, I'm very, very strong willed but I, I, the submission wasn't, wasn't like a, a whipped puppy kind of thing. It was like, just because of love, the love made it so that you trusted so much that you didn't have to worry about submitting to this being. And so I'm, I'm, I'm asking Jesus to see his face. And that's when it started to come together. His face started to come together. And it was beautiful. I could actually see his real face, except my memory couldn't lay down what his face looked like. As soon as it got into my eyes, I could see what it was. And I could see that he was smiling. That was the most important thing. But as soon as it got towards my memory, I lost all ability to lay down any kind of memory of what his face looked like. But I do know that his face was smiling. And as I'm looking at him, I had full recognition of his features while I was there, but it was just that smile. That smile was so wonderful because it was like healing my soul. And that's when we started to go into my, my life review. So I'm, I'm going over all my, all my sins and, you know, we' we're, we're, we're processing these sins and and these sins were were things that you know I, you know like I said I had seven hours to confess everything but you know all the big things that you have in life, all the things that we know yeah I wish I wouldn't have done that or I shouldn't have done this or I shouldn't have done that all those things we know those are wrong but it's those little things where you know I, I said something rude to somebody, or I didn't say something when I should have and didn't stand up for somebody that I should have stood up for. Those kinds of things really bothered me a lot more because, you know, I, I wasn't sorry for those. I I was I felt like I was justified for my reasons for standing up for myself or saying something back to somebody. And, you know, whether you're justified or not, I, I realized that it wasn't about the justification. It was about the impact that I had on that other person. And that was what really, really like was tearing at my soul. But the whole time I'm looking at Jesus and he's smiling, you know, even though I'm going through all these sins, he's smiling at me. And and it was as if he was like removing those, those barriers to, to health, you know, to, to total spiritual health from me. He was taking that off of my, off of me and that burden from me. And it was a simple smile. I I still can't get over the fact that he was smiling like that. And it was this love that was coming through that was just touching my soul. And so I'm going through all these sins. And as we're going through that, I asked, I asked, you know, I had a, a time when I was, I was about six years old and my great grandmother had died. And when she died, you know, I, I saw how everybody was impacted by it. And it was it was a terrible thing for my entire family, but you know she was a well beloved person in our in our in our family, and so I saw all my aunts and all my uncles, and everybody was just torn up about it. And, you know, I, I as a six year old, I said, you know, God, I don't want to have that experience happen, to, you know, because of me. So let me have a long life. And I remember I was praying for for a long time for that, and. I got this feeling and it was just like a, a peace that came over me. I, I didn't have the peace at first when I started praying, I was really concerned about my family. Right. But it was this peace that came after a period of time of praying. And it was just all of a sudden I felt like I didn't have to worry about them have, you know, having to go through that. And so I, I kind of felt like it was my prayer was answered. And as I'm, I'm asking Jesus about that. He said, yes, I remember that. And the, and it still stands, and and so that just blew me away. I, I I realized that he does answer our prayers in this life, you know, and and I knew that that was what I had felt that it was the answered prayer. I also recognized several other times, you know, that he had answered those those types of prayers in the same way, but I just didn't recognize the feeling. I didn't didn't see those that intervention that he had taken in my life, but. But it was cool because, as as he had said that, we we started talking about you know what what is your reason for going back? You know why would you want to go back? Is is kind of how he phrased it to me. But it wasn't like you know a, a question that that prevented me from exploring going back. It was more of like, what is the reason behind your motivation to go back? What do you want to accomplish? You know, what do you want to do? Because I had my whole life to do the things that I wanted to do, and I I did them or I didn't do them. That was my choice. But this time it was it was more about you know doing something good. Because as I'm feeling His love and feeling His supreme goodness, I realized that in order for me to go back, I had to do something that honored Him, and and with that you know, I, I tried to try to think of a lot of reasons. And, you know, of course the first things that came to my mind were my, my wife, my kids, you know, and, and I, I said, you know, well, what about my wife and my kids? I, they need me. I need to go back to them. And, you know, Jesus just has a sense of humor. He, he, he kind of looked at me and, and says, you know, well, you, you know, you did everything you could do with them in your life. What do you think's going to going to be accomplished by you going back and doing it again? You know, Nothing's going to really change. He had everything in control. And he showed me that he showed me that he loves them just as much as he loves me, which is far more than I love them, which, you know, I would never have suspected that anybody could love my children more than I do. But clearly God did. And I could see that. I I could feel how much he loved them and I knew he's going to do a better job than I would. So I, I started trying to really rack my brain about well, what is it that I would want to go back for. And, you know, it was a tough decision because all that love I was feeling, I, I wanted to stay there. But but the reality was is that, that how much I felt his love is what I wanted to do to share his love with others. And so when I started to, to say that to him, that I wanted to go back and share his love and really just do more for him and that's when he 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 said yeah that's that's the reason to go back and we started to uh talk a little bit more but he gave me three things that i needed to focus on and he said that i needed to pray more and that i needed to suffer joyfully and that i needed to share his love when well, sharing his love that's that's a pretty easy one i needed to share this message but i needed to do so in a way that was non-judgmental because you know everybody on earth has plenty of ideas about what God is and how he, how he acts and what he does. And, you know, he's, he doesn't force us to believe one thing or another. He is the truth and he is what he is, but, but he doesn't make anybody believe it. So I can't, I can't come here and try to do the same thing, you know, try to say, well, you got to believe this because, you know, I saw it. So I, I knew I had to, to, to delicately navigate that that system and and do it in a way that helps people to get to heaven not just to believe me or to believe a certain thing that I believe so I knew I had to share his love which was pure and non-judgmental and just open to to humanity because he does love humans but the uh, the prayer that's another one that was pretty easy because I mean it was very clear about what I need to do I just need to pray more and I always thought I prayed enough but you know, really what he was teaching me was that I needed to, to pray in every moment of life, even if it's something that I'm, I'm not doing, like, you know, taking care of kids. Yeah, that's, a, that's something that we often don't think of as serving God, but it is serving God. You know, he, he gave us these wonderful miracles to, to care for. And so showing them love and kindness and nurturing them, those are all ways of serving God as well. And we can do that with a prayer, you know, simply just starting off a prayer like God help me, give me the strength. You know, these kids are getting out of control, you know, that that's a, a really easy way to do it, but, but doing a real prayer where we're thinking about God, we're focusing on him, not just saying, you know, root prayers that we've memorized, but actually thinking about what those words are or thinking about him in his essence. Those are the real keys to prayer. And, then of course suffering joyfully that's that's a bit of a challenge i think for a lot of people and and you know having having just died i completely understood what he was saying because i was seeing him in every aspect of life you know time doesn't have the same concept that we we have here in life you know we have a more linear concept of time but time there is like a you know you draw a little pin circle you know uh, with pick a pen and you you draw a little little dot that's all of history in that little dot and it's all happening at the same time which is just mind-blowing to think about everything that's happened you know just take a human being you know my life I was born I went to kindergarten I went to high school graduated went to college went to military all these things I have all this this, this stuff in a linear fashion and then I can go back down and say oh, yeah I graduated boot camp and, you know, I can go off to the side and look at all the, the the situation that happened around that. However, in in heaven, it's like everything's there all at once. And it's not even confusing. This, that's the beautiful thing about it is that it was all available, but it wasn't confusing in any aspect. And you could focus on one thing. So if I wanted to focus on, you know, my my graduating from boot camp, I could focus on that and still have all the other memories I had kind of off in my periphery. So that was really, really a cool thing to play with. I mean, you got to play with that. And, you know, like my my uh, my vision, my vision was incredible. When I was looking at all those beings, you know, I said I could see 360 degrees. So I could see everything behind me, in front of me, all around. But what was really interesting is that I could also see behind every individual. So I could see behind Jesus and see the back of him and the front of him at the exact same time without losing focus of one or the other, except whatever I focused on would take the predominance of my vision. the The same thing would be said for for all the other beings, and there were countless beings. I don't know how many there were, and the you know it kept going. So I, like I said before, when I could, I could follow my vision to see how far something would go. I could see this room. I, I didn't see the end of it, but I, it was full of beings and I could see the front and back of all the beings, you know, up and down, I could see everything. So there was nothing that was hidden from me. And, and so as, as I'm getting all this and I'm seeing the history, you know, all in that pinpoint, I realized, you know, well, God has suffered so much. So I'm looking at him and he's telling me to suffer joyfully. I understood exactly what Jesus was saying you know, he came down from heaven and suffered for us so that we would have this opportunity to be able to go to heaven, you know? And I'm looking at that and I'm saying, well, all my suffering that was once a real problem for me was, you know, when I died, it was gone. All that suffering that I was experiencing was was gone in an instant. And it was immediately filled with this peace and this love, like you couldn't even imagine. And And I really don't know that I would have, experience that same level of peace and love had I not had some suffering to, to fill that that void with it was it was as if he was mending all those broken pieces that we have as human beings and so he he was taking all of that that pain away from me and so you know he offered me that that opportunity to be able to go back and you know those were the three things that I had to I had to to do and clearly, I I obviously accepted him, but it was easy to accept. And, and so I I put my trust in him. And I said, Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do this. I want to go back. And I want to, I want to do more for you. I want to be able to share your love. I want to suffer joyfully. And, you know, when I was told that I was gonna suffer joyfully, I was, I was told that I was going to suffer more, that it was going to be worse for me when I got back than it was when I died. And like I told you, I, you know, I gave up when I died, I was, already more than i could bear but at this point i my my ability to bear things had grown he clearly made it so that i could endure a lot more than than i had previously And and it really comes down to seeing his smile you know just seeing that 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 love that was radiating from his smile made it so that i could suffer and endure anything So I I agreed that I wanted to go back and that was what I wanted to do I wanted to serve him. But as soon as I had made that deal with him that I wanted to go back, that's when I started to to feel pain for the first time. Before that, I didn't feel hungry. I didn't feel cold. I didn't feel tired. You know, no sensory information that was negative that I I experienced while I was in heaven. But as soon as I had said that I wanted to go back, that was when pain started to come in and it was like this just really oppressive pain that was coming into my my soul i can't say it was my body cuz my body was dead in the hospital room but it was like a just like a separation kind of a pain so as as i was walking away it got worse you know it got it started to grow as i was going back and it felt like my legs were kind of in concrete like it was really hard to move my legs and so I'm, I'm struggling to get out of there and, and I'm walking back. But as, as I was walking back, I, I could easily distinguish my tunnel. And I, this is one of those things that was in the periphery. So I, I don't want to try to say that everybody had their own tunnel, but it seemed kind of like that to me. Um, But I was super focused on my tunnel. So I knew I I knew my own tunnel. I didn't it wasn't like anybody had a sign up that said, hey, this is Brian's tunnel. It was very easy for me to follow my my path back. And as I got into my tunnel, I saw that at the end of the tunnel, there was no longer that dark void. It was my hospital room. And I could see my body laying there. And I could see all the hospital staff that was working on me and what they were doing. And, you know, they had this, this big, this machine on me. It was a, a green machine, but it was a Lucas machine, as I later found out. But what it does is it does chest compressions to try to revive you as, as, as you're laying there dead in the hospital. So I'm watching this as I'm going back towards my body and, you know, I'm feeling that pain as I'm going away, but I'm, I'm also feeling this, this idea that, you know, I want to serve God. And that's what kept me going, you know, because I really wanted to turn back at several points But I knew that I wasn't able to at that point, after I made that decision to go, go back, I had to stick with it. So as as soon as I get to my body, it was as if that, you know, that shake and that pop that I had to begin with, it was different coming back into my body, I didn't feel the shake and the pop, but I did feel like a, like a kind of a pressure as as I did come back into my body. And, And it felt like all of heaven kind of closed off behind me because I as I as I was coming back in, I, it was almost like I could see through my own eyes into my my hospital room, you know, from the, the bed that I was laying on. But but it was it was like that that tunnel closed off, and yet I could feel that it wasn't closed. It was just the human sensory information that was closed off. So I wasn't able to keep track of it just because of you know the distractions that life brings to us and of course as soon as I snapped back into my body all that pain rushed back in all the all the noise the chaos of that room was back and, and present with me and as soon as I as soon as I came back in it's, I, I first thing I did is I opened my eyes and I kind of got up like this and I looked at the doctor and I said did I just die you know because I wanted that that verification because, you know, I'm a psychotherapist. So I, I didn't believe in near-death experiences before all this. I thought it was a lot of neurotransmitters that were being, you know, released into the brain. And that was what causing hallucinations and all that, that, that kind of scientific, you know, the modern scientific beliefs about, about near-death experiences. And yet I wanted that confirmation that it wasn't a an out of body experience, or you know, I wanted to have it really definitively nailed down that the doctor saw that I was dead. <laughs> so I said that to him, and he, I don't know if I almost gave him a heart attack or not. He almost was the next one in the bed next to me because the look on his face; he looked like a ghost. He's like, "Yeah," <laughs> you know, and he, he had to come closer at first, and so he comes closer and he says, "You know," tells me to say it again, and I, I'm like, "Did I just die?" And that was like. It took every effort to get that breath up because they have, you know, oxygen on me and everything. So I mean, it was hard to talk, and you know, I obviously I was just dead, so it was tough. But he's like, "Yeah, you just died," <laughs> and, and I still laugh about it because that look was just such a, a surprise, you know, that was on his face, and and to me that was it was it was so confirming of what I experienced because I knew what I had just went through. You know, I never lost consciousness. So I remember my death. I remember prior to my death, all the way through my death. Plus, I I had all this new memory of what I experienced while I was dead. And then I came back. And, you know, there was never a cut or a a break in that consciousness. And to me, that was really impressive because, you know, it just doesn't, doesn't work that way. Consciousness for the medical model just doesn't work like that if, if, if everything that they say about neurotransmitters is correct. So for me to have that confirmation from the doctor was really, you know, more or less just for my, you know, my own personal preference, because I had just died and was still new to the whole situation. But it it was really cool because, you know, even after that, they had to put in a, a new pacemaker and they had one on my side. So they took that, it was technically just a defibrillator. They took that one out eventually but they had to put a new one in because they thought I was still going to die, and so they couldn't use anesthesia or anything like that during it because they thought, you know, my heart was going to stop and that I I wouldn't survive the the actual procedure. But I didn't even feel anything. It was like a little pinch, kind of like when you get your blood drawn. You know, it's it, it's a minor inconvenience. It's not a real painful process, and so that's what it felt like to me. But me and the doctor were talking about sports, and we were cracking jokes to each other the whole time. and You know, afterwards, it's like, I can't believe you didn't feel that. I'm like, well, I can't believe you didn't feel what I was feeling. Cause you know, I was, I was still in that ecstasy from experiencing God face to face. So that to me was just, you know, the, the most wonderful thing to be out, even in the hospital suffering with all that pain that I was told I was going to come back to. And yet my, my perspective on it was different. I didn't look at pain the same way. It really didn't register to the same level that it had before. And so I was already recognizing that God had changed things within me. And, and to me, that was, that was a wonderful blessing because, you know, I've had several years where I've, I've still had to suffer. And, you know, I just went to the doctor just this week and I still have things that are going on. And it's, you know, it's because those autoimmune diseases are still attacking other organs. They're still causing problems. My heart's good. So that's a thankful thing. And But, you know, it's it's like that hope that I have now that, that God has it all in control because I can't control what those autoimmune diseases do. I can't control whether or not I'm going to live or die. But I do know that God's there and he's waiting for me. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to be able to have that peace relief removed from or given to me and that that fear removed because he's there waiting you know and has everything under control and i'm i'm just so grateful for that
0: well brian thank you so much for sharing your experience with us now right before it happened you were looking at the cross on the wall and asked to see jesus or were thinking about jesus i believe or you were praying to jesus so were you already a christian or what were or are your religious beliefs at the time before and did they change afterwards?
1: Yeah, that's a good really good question, actually. I you know, I was a Christian. I I was a Catholic, but I was a lukewarm Catholic, kind of a Catholic who who you know, I went to mass once in a while. I didn't go regularly I, like I should. I was, you know, kind of a, a poor Catholic. But I was, you know, I would I would say I was more of You know, I was a Freemason at the time, and Freemasons kind of believe that all religions are are, you know, valid, and they put everything on the same level. So, you know, I had that belief going into this, and everything changed because of this experience. I really became a very strong Catholic. I go to mass all the time. I don't miss mass at all. Um, I, you know, I participate in all the sacraments now, but it's 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 as if Christianity, you know, obviously seeing Jesus, I think kind of makes that, makes that happen. But, you know, there were, there were some things that I, that I was able to identify, you know, that weren't there, that were very clear that those were false religions, you know, certain deities and things like that, that were not in heaven. And it was very known. And part of that was with my life review, I was able to see sins that I had. And one of the sins I had was being a Freemason is that, putting everything on that same level. So I was able to see how that was wrong. And that that really helped me to to grow in my my spirituality, but but in that connection with Jesus, because that connection didn't stop when I when I left heaven. It it only grew, but it was removing certain barriers that I had in life that were keeping me from getting that closeness. You know, like I said, when it, it kind of felt like it closed off behind me. It, th- that that those distractions that we have in life those are what keep us from god and those kinds of things you know whether it's you know drugs or alcohol or people spending too much money or you know playing too much internet or whatever they're doing you know those things while, while they're not necessarily you know horrible things to do in of themselves doing it to an excess is certainly going to keep you from god and so i was seeing how even even my my being a Freemason had kept me from God because I was putting everything else that wasn't valid on the same level as him and therefore kind of removing his, his sovereignty. And so that was one of the things that I really saw that I grew in is that he He made it so that I, I was only attracted to things of him, things that, that were really related to God and, and of him.
0: Did you see any other elements of Catholicism there, like like saints
1: or mm-hmm. Mother Mary? You know, that's an awesome question. I, I really can't answer that, and that's the one thing that I wish I could. I can't answer whether I saw grandma there, you know, or aunt so-and-so. I really believe I did, because, like, you know, I was telling you about the periphery that I had. I was so focused on Jesus because when you see him, you you don't want to look away. I mean, it was, he was so beautiful and so loving that, that everything else just fell away anyway. But so there were, there were things that I saw that I, I know I saw and I would, I would be willing to risk, you know, everything I have on those. However, I wouldn't want to say that because I didn't have that same kind of clarity. Does that make sense? That, you know, when I was looking at Jesus, I had that clarity. Mm -hmm but I didn't have the same kind of clarity about some of the saints and some of the other things that I did see.
0: Can you give any more description of Jesus? For example, was he the a traditional looking Jesus as you see in many pictures? Was he similar to the painting of by this young girl who a lot of people seem to describe Jesus as being?
1: I saw his face, but I didn't have the memory of it. But I do feel like when I look at at that picture, I know who you're talking about. That that little girl from Russia, right?
0: Uh, I'm not exactly sure, but I think somewhere in yeah. near- Europe.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think it's from Russia. But anyway, she 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 paints him, and, and it sure does look like him. But you know, there's a lot of other pictures that I also think look like him. There's one in particular that I really wish that I would have saw and been able to, because you know, it's something that I saw as a child that I I always felt like that's what Jesus looked like. So I can't say for sure. But I do, I do think that you know, a lot of those those pictures, they you know, they kind of all look have some resemblances. So I think there's probably a little bit of truth in it. The only thing I can say is that if you see a picture of Jesus that doesn't look loving and doesn't look caring, that's not the right Jesus, you know. So that's that's really the the essence that I got is that his his look, that when you're looking at his face, it was. It was like it cured everything. It fixed everything that you could ever think was going wrong in your life. You would look at that and say, I see, I see the plan that you had. And I know that I can trust you. That's, that's the essence that I got from, from looking at them.
0: Do you recall anything that you learned from Jesus or being with Jesus that was surprising to you?
1: Well, the suffering joyfully was, was surprising because, you know, as human beings, we, we always want to try to avoid suffering. You know, it's. You know I used to run marathons, and that's that's different because you do kind of in you know bring on some suffering yourself, but it's it's a chosen thing, it's not something that you you're forced to go through. So it's it's different, but when when I saw him in in all of his suffering, because like I said, you know, it was in that pinpoint, so I could see all of history. It wasn't like I just saw him at that moment, I also saw him in his suffering, in his passion. And when I saw that, I realized that, you know, suffering in this life is, is really nothing. It feels like a lot while we're here. It, it's overwhelming at times. But when we get to the next life, which is what we're meant to be for, you know, we're not meant to to die. The reason we die is because we came in, you know, and that's one of the things I learned is that we come into life because, you know, we we have had original sin. So part of the admission price to coming into, into life is that we're going to have pain. That, that's just what it costs. Natural order causes causes some pain. If I eat too many tacos or I, I do eat too much sugar, I'm gonna have a stomach ache. It's it's going to happen. God doesn't have to do that. Nature does that for him. But but what I found is that he you know he he pulls us from that and he takes us to a different place. And it's through the the lesson that he taught us by coming down from heaven, you know. I know for sure if I was God, I wouldn't have done that. I'd have been like, Hey, I'm going to start over and, you know, make, make a whole bunch of different people. But he loves us enough that he's like, I'm not going to start over. I, I, I love you so much is what he says, you know, that, that he, he, his whole nature is about loving us. It's like, when we think of things like, you know, I can't, I can't imagine God loving me because of all the things that I did. And that's something that I would have thought of beforehand. You know, I, how could God love me knowing all the horrible things that I've done? And I've done a lot of horrible things, but it's not about that. It's, it's, you know, I'm not, not that important that my sins are worse than somebody else's even though I might think they are. But the fact is, is that he, he loves us for, for us, the, the part that he made of us, not the things that we do, you know, he'll forgive those things as long as we want forgiveness And that was the thing that really struck me is that that level of forgiveness is so beyond what, what human beings are willing to go to, you know, and, and, and it's this complete forgiveness, this, this forgiveness that, that once it's, it's forgiven, it's forgiven. He doesn't, doesn't remember it. He, he, he knows it happened, but he doesn't sit there and constantly bring it up, you know, like my wife might do or something, you know, he, he's, he's giving us the ability to be healed from it. and that to me was was probably the most striking thing that he that he taught me during during my experience there
0: besides what you've already told us and what other ways did you change after your experience
1: well I, I'll tell you what I'm I'm a really loving person I, I mean I I'll go out of my way to help people with with their faith you know I I don't I, I don't go out of my way to to you know do things for people that they can do themselves. That's that's not helpful. I I'll never probably go that route because that's just not not who I am. But I you know people I I've I've learned sharing my story. People will often contact me, and I'll take my time. You know my value. I, I'll lose a lot of sleep because I'll want to answer their questions. That's not something that I typically would have done before, and and I wasn't a jerk before. It wasn't like a I was a mean person. It's just like, I'd be busy, you know, but now I'm willing to sacrifice my sleep because I believe this is so important. But I, I, I think that level of love that I have is, is beyond what I used to have. It was as if God has given me a different sense of love and it's, it's a piece of his love because there's nothing I wouldn't do for somebody. I, I am just, I'm so much more caring than I ever used to be. And, you know, people will, you know, like road rage. I, I never was necessarily one for road rage. I didn't chase anybody down and, and do anything terrible, but I'd get angry when somebody would cut me off. And for some reason it just does, doesn't bother me anymore. It's it's as if I can just release a lot of these things that used to irritate me. And I think that's that's one of the biggest things that I'm able to recognize and how I've changed is that he's, he's changed me internally. And it wasn't something that I did myself. And, you know, as far as the, the probably the biggest change is the, the ability to, to endure suffering. Because like I said, I knew I was going to come back to worse suffering and my suffering has, has gotten better than what it was at that point. But that took a long time to get to that point. I had to have a heart transplant and you know, that helped a lot. So that, that really did, did increase my, my comfort quite a bit, but you know, with a tar transplant, you still have a lot of suffering with that as well. And all of my suffering is, is so easy for me. Like even this, this week when I got some bad news, I was like, well, whatever, what, you know, what's next? I I really don't care because it's not the end of the story. You know, I I sent you some pictures of my, my heart and, you know, it's amazing to see how bad my heart was and you know i lived for two years with that heart before they ended up taking it out and and giving me a new one so i went from dying and having a heart that should have been dead at the age of 42 and then i lived for another two years with that heart and then got a then got a new one and when you see this heart it's it blows you away because you can see that it was not supposed to be working. So God had his hand on my heart. And with that now, I just, I have so much more trust is that, you know, when the doctors tell me like this week, they said, hey, you know, you got this other thing going on. It just doesn't faze me because I know that God had my heart, this this inoperable heart in his hand. And he was able to keep me alive for two years. I think he can handle this tiny little thing that's going on now.
0: Did you ever have a conversation with the doctor that you asked, you know, did I die? Did you ever tell him about your experience?
1: No, I never got to. He, uh, he was the, the doctor on call in the, the ICU. I don't know how, how many doctors they have throughout the whole hospital, but he, uh, you know, he had to go to other, other patients after my, after my, my situation because he was the emergency one who comes running in when they, when they have an emergency. So I never got to see him again, but I did get to see the charge nurse. And so me and her had talked and she kind of told me about, you know, how long I had been dead for and, you know, some of the the situations. But she confirmed to me when I was able to tell her, you know, this was here and that person was over there and you were doing this and you were doing that. I was able to confirm all those things with her. So that was really cool. Mm -hmm. But what then she did is she ended up telling a bunch of the other nurses and they all, came flying in, you know, throughout the week and were asking me a lot of questions.
0: Do you fear death at all?
1: Not anymore. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's, it, I don't want to die. So I, I should clarify that. It's, I, I'm, I'm just the same as any other human being. I, you know, I want to live and I want to, you know, enjoy my life. And every morning I, you know, I wake up and I, first thing I do every morning is I, I think about Jesus because I just think of that smile on his face. And while I can't remember what his actual face looks like, which is, you know, kind of unfortunate, I kind of wish I at least could remember that, but that wasn't for me to, to have. But I do know that that feeling that I have, you know, whenever I wake up, I, I, I think about that, that smile and it just this feeling comes over me. And that starts my whole day off, just thinking about that. So whenever I have, you know, issues with my heart or you know, my heart sometimes doesn't pump pump properly, so I'll gain, you know, 30 pounds in a week, you know, just a fluid retention, you know, cause it's not processing things properly. And the, you have other organs that are being damaged because of my autoimmune diseases. So it's, you know, i got a lot of complications and, and yet I'll sit there and I'll think about, well, you know, God's going to take care of it. However he's going to do, I don't know how long he's going to give me, you know, he did say that I'm, he's going to give me extra time, but he didn't tell me, you know, it's going to be until, 2025 or, you know, 30 or whatever. He didn't tell me how long it's going to be, but I don't, I don't even worry about it now. I, I've, I've made my peace with what I have in life and all I do every day is I wake up, I smile, I think about Jesus. And then I start my day off saying, well, how can I serve God? And I look for every single person I can smile at. I look at every person I can open the door for, I look for anything that I can do that's positive, that I can just present positive things into the world, because the last thing I want to do is do one more negative thing that impacts somebody and maybe keeps them from from going closer to God or just hurts God in in general by me doing those things. So that's what I try to do is I try to just do good things every day of my life
0: has the memory of this experience faded over time or is it still as real today as it did the day it happened?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Jeff. Cause I was thinking about this just the other night, but I was, you know, I was, I, I do some meditation. So I uh, often I'll meditate on my experience just because, you know, it's, it's easy to do. And, you know, I'm thinking about God. So I'll, I'll think about those things. And, and what I've realized is that not only has it not faded, It's as if it still happens. You know, it's the only memory that I have. When I tell you about all the other things, like, you know, everything that happened in the ER or the ICU up until my death is kind of faded. It's it's a normal human memory. But everything that happened when I was dead is crystal clear. The only things that are faded in that memory are the things that are in my periphery. That's why I don't try to say, hey, you know, I saw so-and-so, or I saw this, or I saw that, because I think that's how sometimes people kind of misconstrue things that they see in their near-death experience, because what you're focusing on is very crystal clear. But everything else, you see is so many things that no way can our human brain stay at that same level as we had when we were dead. It's just there are two different types of, of abilities, and my ability isn't the same as it was when I was dead. So I don't want to try to pull on those memories that are too far beyond my ability to grasp. But the ones that I was focusing on while I was there are crystal clear. So those haven't faded at all. And then, you know, I I, I kind of think of like, you know, some people some, sometimes talk about like dreams and how, you know, dreams kind of fade. And, you know, that's what real life feels like almost is that. Every time I, I think of a memory of real life, it, it almost seems like what I used to think dreams felt like. And the only thing that seemed real and and completely certain to me is my dear death experience. Is you know, that time that I spent with God.
0: Hmm, that's fascinating. But that the one episode in your life is like your anchor.
1: Yeah, it's really It's really bizarre, but it's hmm. it's the coolest thing. It, it it really is cool.
0: Did you find yourself after your NDE, being in places like the grocery store and being like in love
1: with everybody, i felt like I've been love. I haven't gone to the grocery store a lot because of COVID. You know that's kind of kind of limited. That, however, even in the hospital room, you know, I I was immediately in love with everybody, and and it's not. You know, I, I hate to try to bag on my old self, but I'm going to have to. I, I wasn't like that. I wasn't one of those people. I was a nice person. I was what most people would probably say was a really good person, but I know me myself and I I know what was really going on in my head. And I wasn't that kind of a person that just loved people. I tolerated people. I put up with people, but it's so much different now that I, when I look at people, I look at them and I say, well, how can I help this person get to heaven? That's the only thing I care about. And it's not coming necessarily from me. It's coming from the fact that I want to make God happy. But when I look at those people, I, I often will say, "If I say this one response now, how is that going to help that person get to heaven?" And most of the time, it won't. So I keep my mouth shut, and I because I still have my same human desires to stand up for myself and to to you know if somebody gives me an insult, I want to sometimes give one back. But there's something that's inside of me that's deeper and it's it says, don't do that. It's not worth it. It doesn't help that person. And I've I've been able to choose not to do that, which is something totally beyond my character. It's not something that I would have ever done. I would have quickly cut somebody down. In fact, I if somebody, you know, would have in the past gone against me, I, I very much go to the opposite extreme and and I don't relent until they give up. You know, and that was that was something that I, I never thought would, would, would escape me. Nothing that I thought I would ever give up. And yet I have no desire to do that anymore. I, I only want to do what's good for people. And that's, that's probably the most amazing change that you can see within me as a human being now.
0: All right. Well, I asked Brian before we started if he wanted to promote anything of his, and he said no, but I'm going to do it for him
1: anyways.
0: His book is right next to him, From Sudden Death to Paradise. So if you want to check out his book, is it on Amazon?
1: It is on Amazon. But I'll be honest, Jeff, I I would rather people, you know, not if they don't like to read, seriously, I I would rather people email me, ask me questions. I'm happy to answer anything. I just don't want people to feel pressured to do it, Uh but you know, it does explain my medical stuff. And so some people who I've read it have said, it's really been beneficial because of how much I've suffered and, you know, it it does explain it real well. And, you know, and I really appreciate you bringing it up, but honestly, I, I do want people to hear it. Like your, your show is a great way for people to hear my story and hear what happened.
0: Do you think it's best if people email you or catch you on Facebook if they want to reach out to
1: you? Either one. Um, uh, my my email is tsdismas at uh, gmail.com and then look me up on on Facebook, Brian Hoyland. It's either one's really easy, and I, you know, I do get a ton of messages, so I do get back to them. Though I I, I honestly don't think I've missed any. But sometimes you know there there'll be a, quite a few of them that I have to go through, and I, I always worry about missing one, but I think I've gotten them all. All
0: right. Well, before we finish up. Can you leave us with one last positive message?
1: Well, the one thing I really want to say is that Jesus loves everybody. I mean, that's the one thing. If you find yourself not wanting to, to, to be a Christian, not wanting to, to love Jesus, just do this one thing. Ask him to, to prove it to you. I, I don't think he's going to neglect you on that. But even when you die, just don't go to that dark void just look at that light and go towards the light don't go to that dark void the one thing about the dark void was there was an evil presence hidden there and it was manipulative it was trying to entice me into it but the light was just beautiful and and, and it didn't ever ask me to do anything that i didn't want to do it just was offering love so go to, go towards the light that's the the thing I would say.
0: Well, thank you for that message. And Brian, thank you so much for being my guest this evening. I really appreciate you and I wish you the best.
1: Thank you, Jeff. I wish you the best too. Thank you. And I appreciate being
0: here. Have a great rest of your weekend.
1: You too. Bye bye.
0: Bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast.